For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. The only time I go through Pink Creek is when I go out to the mines. <laughs> but otherwise, and I bought an aquarium in Quick Creek. Oh, really? Yeah, I bought my first, my big aquarium in high school. Dude, on the podcast too, I'm going to start talking about aquariums all the time once I get an aquarium. It's going to be a big topic of discussion. Just wait. I'm, ready. I'm getting an aquarium. So I, I bought, uh, so I had some smaller aquariums up until then, but for whatever reason, Ah, shoot. I think it was like eighth grade. I, I was ready to send it. Yeah. So I found this, it was this four foot, hundred gallon aquarium that this dude was selling out in Queen Creek. So it was me and my mom's boyfriend at the time had this kind of shitty F-150 and we just drove out there together mm-hmm. and figured out how to move this aquarium and moving an aquarium. Okay. The aquarium, one thing, it's a glass box and then you have a stand. So some wood, like a fir- piece of furniture, but it had fish in it and all oh. that shit as well. And you have to figure out, well, how do I move these 50, 50 fish? Like, what the hell do I do with these? So you're, you're buying these Rubbermaid tubs and you're draining the water out and trying to catch the damn fish and throwing them into these tubs and hauling them across town, hoping they don't all die. Oh, so, geez, you bought the fish and all. Got the whole dude, deal. It was 100% full send. Let's, let's get it. That's, that's awesome. the cheapest way to do it. Just find someone on Craigslist that doesn't want their aquarium it's anymore. It's like, I'm tired of taking care of this yeah. shit. Let's yeah. go. And you, you, yeah. can, you can buy it for maybe 20 cents on the dollar of what they paid yeah. for it originally. Yeah. It's because yeah. they're not worth much. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that's my Queen Creek story. Huh. I don't want to tell any Queen Creek stories. That's, <laughs> that's a sad place. <laughs> um, we're good to go, huh? You got my fish story on there? Oh, thank God. Thank God. Good. I'm trying to weave that into my personal brand more and more. The aquariums, yeah. My aquariums. Dude, I've I've thought about that. What we've done for dirt, I could totally do for the aquarium world. <laughs> it's, also, it's also very underrepresented. Yes, yes, uh, okay, anyway, dirt talk. Um, Nick Parrish. Yep. Is that last name? Yeah, Parrish? that's right. Parrish. Um, you live in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Uh, so I'm the vice president of operations and contracting for Burns Dirt Construction. Burns Dirt Construction. Yeah. And what's the nature of your guys' work? So um, my grandfather and his brother started it back in the 70s. And uh, they basically were just a couple dump trucks. And over the past 45 years, we've developed into basically being 
you know, a civil general contractor. We self-perform demo earthwork and storm drainage, but then, you know, we're delivering products, you know, a lot of turnkey site packages for roadways, subdivisions, apartment complexes, anything we can get our hands on. So, and uh, yeah. where where are you? So we're we're based out of Columbus, um, and we do, I would say, most of our work in Starkville for Mississippi State University. Is oh, oh yeah. yeah. I know yeah. Starkville. Sure. Yeah, so, but we... We're probably in an hour radius around there. It's sure. hard to travel too far because you get to Tuscaloosa and Birmingham and, yeah. you know, you start bumping into different markets there. So There, Mississippi, there's not a ton going on in that state. No. It's, I mean, Starkville is one of the happening, yeah. one of the happening places. Yeah. I hadn't been there. I'd, I went there for the first time maybe a year ago. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to that state. And we flew into Jackson. Which is state capital, right? Jackson, Mississippi. And there's not much going on there's there. There's not either. much going on. I'm like, wow, there's really not much going on here. And then we flew to Stark or drove up Starkville. Yeah. There's nothing between Jackson and Starkville. Because I guess you went to the mine that's on the west side of town, right? Yes. And yeah, but Ackerman. we stayed in Starkville. Oh, you stayed in Starkville. Stayed in Starkville. <clears throat> so we probably do, we probably have 80% of the sites in Starkville. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of our bread and butter. How, I mean, many, how many people are at the company? Um, I think we are right around sixty in the field right now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, so where'd you where'd you start out? I started out on a pipe crew. Um, I actually, weird enough, I was living in Phoenix at the time when I was in. <clears throat> I was living in Phoenix and uh, going to Arizona State, studying design there. Kind of got tired of that and uh, asked my grandfather if I could come back and finish school in Mississippi State and. Uh, you know, kind of learn the business. I didn't have any intentions on staying, mm-hmm. um, but came back and um, I, he, he put me on a pipe crew and I worked there for a little bit. And then on rain days, I would come inside and, mm-hmm. you know, just ask, you know, can I come inside and see what you guys do in the office? Like what, it, what, it, what's that side look like? Um, came in and we had one of these like old school digitizers where you put the plans on there and you have to use a little pen and it clicks and, that's how we were doing takeoffs. Nice. And uh, I guess just being young, I took to it, right? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it took me a few hours, and I picked it up and could do takeoffs really fast. And um, I basically went in there with the mentality that if I want to do this, well, then I have to make myself need it, right? Like, make myself so that this team in the office can't live without me. Sure. And I won't have to go back to the pipe crew. I won't have to go back to running a jumping jack and, you know— the dog days of summer. And uh, so that's what I did. And I just, you know, just grind. Running a jumping jack for a prolonged period of time is some of the best career motivation out there. It is. It is. That job, that job, it just, it fucking sucks. Yeah. And and, and you're just sitting there jarred thinking about everything else in the world you would rather be doing yeah, than this. It is not. I, I've, I, like, there, there was, and I've talked about it a little bit, there was a period of time where I probably spent like four or five weeks, that was just full-time job, was mm-hmm. just backfilling waterline trench. So I was just running a jumping jack all day, every day, mm-hmm. middle of summer in Arizona. Not like, just not a, you, you're super stoked on it. Or initially you're a young kid. Well, I got this big piece of equipment and I'm going to be back. Like, and, and it's kind of satisfying because you can see the compaction. Right, so, right. Oh yeah. I, I started here and over here and look like, wow, look how smooth I got it. And then you do it for long enough. You're, uh, I don't want to do this ever again. I remember my first five minutes was I was backfilling around a uh, around a catch basin. So you're having to like go in a circle. Oh, it's not yeah. like a straight line. Yeah, yeah. At that point, you're just like 
you're just angry with this thing after yeah. about 10 minutes. You're like, why won't you cooperate with yeah. me? Yeah. Well, I'm so. not a very big guy too. And so it's like getting that thing out of the mm-hmm. out of the ditch. I don't even know how much they weigh, but it was a wow. process. Yeah. Um, can you explain what a takeoff is for I feel like most people get it, but that's a term that's thrown around. Sure, sure. So um, so I guess my definition of takeoff is the process of mm, defining the quantities <clears throat> of uh, <clears throat> de- defining the quantities for every piece of scope of work. So how many linear feet of 18-inch pipe there's yeah. going to be? How much linear feet of 24-inch there is? and Or how much dirt you have to import? So defining the quantity for every single one of those. Yes, you get you get a set of plans, and okay, we need uh, a sidewalk from here to here. Mm-hmm. You basically sit there with back in the day, you know, the old school methods. Nowadays, yep. it's ag tech or something like right. that. Or uh, we're shoot. we're business center guys at Burns. Okay, right? Trimble Bus- Business Center. Trimble Business Center. Yeah, there's the a same bunch thing of as them. ag tech. Yeah, you just with your little ruler and you measure out. Okay, mm-hmm. there's one thousand five hundred and thirty-eight feet of linear feet of sidewalk. It's four foot sidewalk. Okay, mm-hmm. so we need this. Square footage of concrete. It's yep. four inch sidewalk. So here's our concrete uh, by by the cubic yard. And okay, here's our unit price for concrete. You plug it in. There's your dollars. Well, plus your labor and whatever else yeah. work. And from the earthwork side too. You know, especially back in the day. Now it's easy. You got CAD files, but back in the day you had to trace every contour line. Mm-hmm. You know, and you might get in this like site that's got thousands of contour lines, and you're just sitting there. Just tracing over every contour line. Well, that's elevation three seventy five. You know. Well, I, I would have to do that with with ag tech. You'd have to mm-hmm. digitize the plans and right. build out a three dimensional model. And so you'd have to. Sometimes you'd get lucky, and they'd give you a nice plan set. Or sometimes you get really lucky. They give you the cat file, that's and that's right. just you are golden, man. You're golden, yeah. Sometimes you get lucky, and it's a. Uh, um, I, I don't know what the terminology is, but you can digitize the lines quickly and then you just clean it up. Other times you don't get lucky and you have to sit there and click, 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 enter the, un- enter yeah. in the elevation. And, and then you look at the 3d model and there's just this gigantic mountain in the middle of the, in the middle of the yeah. model. You're like, damn it. Some I line up that my... you entered in wrong. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. With 3000. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just this giant triangle in the yeah. middle of completely beautiful, beautiful exactly. uh, terrain. Yeah. So, I mean, in back in the day, you, you know, a 30-acre site might take you three or four days. But now with the CAD file, you can do it in 20 minutes. Sure. I mean, it's just yeah. amazing how the technology is coming just in 10 years. Uh, I think that's pretty cool, too, how you took advantage of the rain days. Because you can look at rain days as a bummer. I'm not working. I'm not getting paid. Or, but, and, and which, is, which is valid. I think rain days are a big problem, especially if you have a family. It's, you can't go to the bank and say, hey, sorry, guys. Can't really make my mortgage this month because I had... 15 rain days. Right. They don't give a shit. No, they don't care. Um, but as a young person looking at rain days as an opportunity, hey, if I'm not working in the field, can I come in, learn what you guys are doing in the office? I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, so I did that. And once they taught me a couple things, um, I would then, you know, like doing a takeoff, um, I just started staying late. You know, this matters would go home. They'd finish, mm. they'd save their, you know, save their spreadsheet and go home. I'd stay and I lived like two miles from the office. So I'd stay until seven, eight. And that started getting longer and longer until I was staying. Like I'd go home and eat and come back to the office and finish the takeoff and have this plan ready in the morning so somebody could teach me the next step. Hmm. Um, so I started doing that and uh, picked up some jobs. And just from, just from there, started then started managing work. And I never went back to the field. 
um, because I made myself, you know, so needed. You know, they couldn't they couldn't let this this guy go back because he was doing all the hard takeoffs for them. Sure. Um, so then in 2017, we actually bought out uh, my uncle. He had a son that was working for the business, and uh, we bought out that side of the family. So um, that's when I really moved into leadership of the business. And then um, in 2020, when uh, the pandemic hit, my grandfather, um, he kind of went home and said, here's the keys, go to town. So in the middle of a pandemic got dropped off and said, all right, well, now you got to manage this beast all of a sudden. So, uh, uh, How old is your grandfather? He would be mid-70s, early 70s. So he yeah. was kind of the point where yeah. I don't need to deal with this. I'm That's just right. going to kick it. Yeah. I've been doing this for long enough. Yeah. And he believes in the uh, the kind of baptism by fire, uh-huh. you know. So a pandemic was the perfect time to say, oh, well, that, you know, sure. there's a per- perfect time for you to take over and start running things and figure it out. What does your, your dad do? Um, so my dad was never involved in the business. Um, so this actually skipped a generation. So he actually, uh, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, he ran a steel foundry in Columbus, Ohio. Really? Yeah. I was just, I just drove through Columbus the other day. Yeah. I don't Maybe. know. I might have even flown into Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird, that's a weird town. Yeah. <laughs> well. I went to school there. Did you? Uh, well, yeah. so, so, so Columbus, Ohio. I'm sorry, Alex. There's yeah. not, there's not much going for that state. It might, I, I, I drive through Ohio. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I would live here. Pennsylvania is kind of the same, same thing for me. It's like an extension of Pennsylvania. It's all just that. It's just like hot in the summer, cold in the winter, but. A lot of both of those. I'm 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 going somewhere. So I I you know I've been to Ohio a little bit, but I haven't spent a ton of time there. Flying to Columbus, go to a coffee shop. It was it was happening. It was really? in a happening part of town. I'm like what? Where the hell am I? Am I am I am I in Ohio? What the hell is going on? And I look at the map, and it's right down the street from Ohio State. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, Ohio State. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Same thing with Starkville. I go yeah. to Starkville. Off. Oh, What's in Starkville? And then it's a happening place. You're like, what the hell is going on here? Oh, Mississippi State's here. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah, it. Yeah, there are those little oasis in like the middle of this desert of nothing going on. It's yeah. it is wacky. Yeah. yeah. And in places like the Midwest and the South, colleges are a big deal. It is that's like kind of the main thing going wherever in these in these yeah. towns, wherever, wherever they are. Yeah, they divide whole families. I mean I mean, I come from a Southern family, but I grew up on the West Coast and kind of can see the difference in the West Coast. You know, it's not like that at no. all. Arizona, you come back to the South and people are like, oh, I'm not friends with him. He's an Alabama fan. Sure. You know? Dude, yeah. South, South's a big deal. I mean, yeah. Ohio State. Yeah. Wolf. Um, okay, so you you start running the company in 2020. Mm-hmm. March 2020. March of 2020. Wow, that was like COVID hit. Yeah. And yeah. he's out of there. Yeah. So what was that like? Um, you know, it was really scary. Um, and that's what something I've had to drap- grapple with a couple years, the last couple years is one, this is a scary, it's a scary time to operate a business, but then at the same time, you're taking over this behemoth, even though there was some transition there, right? I mean, I had grown more and more and gotten closer and closer to that point of that ability to be able to manage the business enough that he trusted me, sure. right? Um, but um, it's just a lot of fear, I think, is the main thing. Um, what, were you, what were you afraid of? 
Um, you know, it's it's the family business thing. Is what I always describe it as. It's kind of like the family farm. You have this fear that you don't want to be the one that loses the family farm. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, you've seen all the old guys for years and years where it consumes their life. Sure. And they and it's their baby, and they can never walk away from it. So there's this. I think the biggest fear is the balance between it consuming you to the point to where that's all you know. You don't have any hobbies. You don't take care of your family. You don't do anything else but look after the business. But then at the same time, if you get too far away from that, then you teeter on the point of failure. Yeah. So I think that was kind of the main thing was that I finally got to that point where I had worked really hard and begged to be at the point of leadership and be able to make the decisions and have the control. But um, but when, once you got there, you go, oh, oh, oh no. Like, you know, I can, I can pour you know, my heart and soul into this thing all day long, all night long to the point where I don't sleep, mm-hmm. you know, but then also I've just done the same thing as if I had failed. There's still failure in both of those sides, right? Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at it. Did you have a family or anything at the time? Yeah. So, um, um, I had a, uh, let's see. Yeah. So I had a, I have one daughter and she was born and a wife and daughter that was born in 2017. So I had a three-year-old. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to give them time, right? And you want yeah. to pour into them yeah. um, and spend time with them, but then it's hard to come home and shut it off. Sure. Because you're you're scared out of your mind. Yeah. It's yeah, and it's uh and it's hard to explain that too and actually put that into words for others to understand. And uh it's hard to even realize when it's happening as well. I've 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 found it's my brain is automatically is just it's just gotten to the point where I'm always thinking about the company. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're just, people can pick up when you're not present and you don't even know it. And you think you're there and you're, you're there, you're physically there, but mentally your mind is just going, going. I mean, every single night to put myself to sleep, I'll be sitting there thinking about the worst thing. And I'll mm-hmm. have to tell myself, stop, just turn it mm-hmm. off. It's done. And you've hit the switch mentally yeah. and then I can fall asleep. But if I don't do that, that's right. Yeah. And I see a lot, I think in, in contracting, I see contractors that um, you're either scared or you're too arrogant, right? There's like this arrogance that can overcome that. They're like, oh, I'm not going to fail. You know, I'm, I'm fine. You know, and it's kind of like the arrogance, especially a lot of entrepreneurs, even in general, not just in contracting, but people mask that fear with arrogance. Sure. Because um, there's a difference between arrogance and confidence, right? You, yeah. And I think you, I think you need a little... It's uh, like you need a little narcissism. You need yeah, a, you need yeah. ego to do it. I would just, just talk to Keaton Turner about this. If if you don't have that, I don't think you go very far starting a company. Right. You have to think you're a little bit better than you really are to That's pull right. it off. Because if you if you if you really knew how much of an asset you were, you're not going to do anything. There's no way. So you have to. But you can't have too much. You can't have too much because then you get to that point where you're like, oh well, I don't. Exactly. You know, that's not my problem. Yeah. Oh, that, you know, oh, something got messed up. Well, I, that's somebody else's problem. That, that's what I paid them for. Yeah. Right. You know, so it's all about balance in that. Well, and the, and the, then the, the older, the, the more time you spend in the business too, I think the more you get humbled. So I haven't met too many people that have been in the business a very long time that are arrogant assholes because they've been, you know, they've just been beat down, beat down, mm-hmm. beat down, beat down for that long. So if you're starting out and you're a younger guy, young buck, this guy for sure. Oh yeah. And I know what's going on or this and that, but these, these guys like a, like a herb sergeant or Mike Reed, they're, 
they're as low key as it gets because they've been they've had their asses beat for decades now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know, so I'm I'm 28. I turned 29 here in a in a couple months. So I've realized that I had to grow up coming up in the family business and going through the buyout, and now through this, I had to grow up about 10 years earlier than I probably would have. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was a normal second generation in a construction business. Um, and so that's been the hardest mental thing, I think, is that in your 20s, you're running this this big organization. Jay Dunn next door. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah, that's a cool site. I actually got an Uber driver got lost, and so I got to get a tour of that oh, place. Nice. Yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And I guess I'm also staying by the Nashville Yard site. So, oh, yeah. I've been walking over there, checking. I mean, I've just been staying for hours. They're like, what, what's, what's this guy doing? Yeah, bigger, bigger, bigger buildings than they have in Starkville, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's fun. Good to see a whole different side of the world. But, sure. Um, but, yeah, so I think that's been the hardest thing is, is the grapple with the mental health of it, yeah. right? Because, you you know, you can easily get burnt out. And I can go through, you know, a couple months and then just realize that I'm shot. I'm making bad decisions. I'm a terrible person to be around. My friends don't want to be around. My family doesn't want to be around me. Because I'm so consumed with work. Well, what do you do when you realize you're like that? I don't know. It's kind of a... Go out and shoot some guns or... No. So I'm, I'm actually... I've really struggled with that of how do I how do I back up and press the pause button? Um, I've gotten into lawn care. Oh, that's a weird lawn hobby. Lawn care? Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. Gotten really into lawn care the past few years and just like... Sweet. You can't talk on the phone and cut grass. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you can't yeah. answer emails yeah. and cut your grass. So... Um, I've gotten to where I cut my grass about three times a week. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause this, I mean, cause you know, yeah. How much, how much yard? I've got 4,000 square feet. So I'm a push mower guy, but You're I mean, I'm push mower. I'm push mower. I was going to ask you, yeah. got, you got a nice ride, ride no, on the mower? No, I got a night. I got a good push mower, Damn. but I mean, I do the full fledged treatment on my yard three times a week. Trim really? my bushes, weed eat, blow wow. everything. You three got the times. nice, nice stripes in your lawn. Oh yeah. Yeah. I got a nice, I built a roller on my, you know. <laughs> To, to lay it down and oh, I get a groomer and a whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but stuff like that to where I have to get away from it completely. Yeah. That or go get on a bulldozer. And that'll do it. That, that'll do it. Yeah. You know, I there's well, uh, the busier I've got, the more and more and more I've started to appreciate fucking chilling out. Like I just scheduled the trip to Savannah uh, for five days in March. Nothing scheduled. Uh, no calls. I'm just going to be there. I'm just going to walk around town and I'm going to read books. I'm going to think I'm just going to separate myself from my life for just one moment mm-hmm. and create some empty space because that is where I can create the most value for the business is sure doing and traveling and out there just working my ass off this and that. But if you don't take any time to actually digest it and think and uh, take a deep breath. All of that isn't worth nearly as much. There's a point when you you're actually hurting the business, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You can you can be doing too much in your business. I've learned, mm-hmm. or just even just, just like just to make it more relatable too. I mean, this is it applies to anybody, any any career, or anything. It's it's if you're just always in the weeds, always doing, always answering people's questions, this and that, you're kind of screwing yourself at a certain point, which is counterintuitive. Yeah, I think that's a, I'm sure this is true in a lot of entrepreneurship, but within construction, I mean, spent a lot of time looking at construction companies and kind of studying this field. I think that's the biggest thing that holds small contractors back is not like empowering people and not 
turning yeah. over responsibility yeah. to guys around them or guys and girls around them. Because if they, if you're the only person that makes the decision all day long and you run this really horizontal organization um, and everything has to go through you, well, if you're on the phone, decisions aren't being made because mm-hmm. you're working on this one thing. And the only way to grow your organization is actually turnover responsibility. Well, and I've, I've seen people too, you can get away with it for a long time, but you're going to be a stressed out son of a bitch the mm-hmm. whole time. You're going to be always working. You're going to be always going. And you're going to be always, a lot of these guys are just, you just talk to them like, how are you doing? And they just seem like out of breath yeah. because they've just been, they've just been going. And you think in the back of your mind, you need to find some folks that you can trust because you don't need to be going like this. And you can be even more effective. That's you're right. you're not going like this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where it gets to that point where it's consumed you, right? Yeah, yeah. But it feels if if you're the person that everybody's coming to and you're making the, it feels good. It feels it does. Yeah, I'm, it keeps I'm, you going. It's that ego thing, it's, right? It's ego and it's human nature. It's you want to feel needed, important, valuable. You want to be be somebody. And I've gotten to a point where I've taken a lot off my plate over the past year because I've been very deliberate about it. Get as much as I can off so I can think and strategize and look big picture. Um, but then you get to a point where, you know, a day will go by and I won't even, I won't have messages or calls or anything. And I'm sitting there insecure about it. Like, wow, oh, they don't, they don't, they don't need me. What the hell have Mm -hmm. I done? And you, you, you you get a little bummed out at at first. Yeah. yeah. What do do I even do around here? And then you you, you slap yourself around. No, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. But there'll be a brief moment of time where you just, you get a little down about people not needing you. That, well, that's kind of, that's part of the goal in leadership, right? Is to become ir- irrelevant in your organization yeah. in some ways, right? Yeah. Um, to the point to where you've, you know, you've passed on knowledge, you hired the right people, or you've set up the right protocol or whatever it is inside your organization that if people stop calling you and everything's going well and they're growing and everyone's happy, well, you did your job. Sure. And, and I think in those times when those days come and I get an, an afternoon and no one's called and nothing's, nothing's going on. Now my job is to think about 10 years from now, Yeah, the vision, you know, because then that becomes your job and that's where you need to focus on. Mm-hmm. So then you get start cutting grass and you're thinking about, well, you know, what, what do I do, you know, 10 years from now? What does this look but, like? But even, I mean, this even applies to like a foreman, for example, if you can get your people, your laborers, your operators calling, calling the shots, making their own decisions. So you're not having to run around and babysit all day long. Right. Then you can be thinking out ahead. You know, my, I you, now you can be thinking out a month ahead of how do I, all right, so there's this construction entrance here. You know, maybe we move it over here to get our materials in here a little bit easier. And all right, I see there's this, oh, I'm looking at pipe orders and shit. Stuff's, stuff's six weeks out. I need to get on that. And you start looking at the big picture of the project, which makes you more valuable and more productive and, you're, you know, you're like, like you said, you wanted to create, make yourself valuable. You're a hell of a lot more valuable doing that than always babysitting people. Cause that's just a waste of human capital and time. Yeah. I think the times that we're most successful is when I can get to the point to where I'm sitting on a job site in my truck, watching stuff going on, but they don't need me. And now I can think about, sure. Oh, you know, whatever new strategy or changing this you know, equipment tracking software out to this thing and start mm-hmm. thinking about the next steps. Um, and every time I feel like we get, we grow a little bit um, and then I start to get bogged down again, well, that's time that I need to be unloading stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. or I've missed the opportunity. I should have had somebody that I was investing in and teaching something 
um, we just brought on a full-time marketing person back in November. And so, you know, for a long time, our social media and our hiring and everything was really suffering. It was good um, because I was young and understood Instagram and all that kind of stuff, but I missed the TikTok thing. So yeah. just completely missed it. Ah, it's still around. It's still around. We started one about a month ago. I missed I missed the boat too. Yeah. And then we got, you know, we're we have more followers on TikTok than we do Instagram. And yeah. I've been doing Instagram for five years. Yeah. And yeah. So I noticed one thing. This is a funny story. So I started about 10 years ago at the business. And the first couple of months, I was talking to my grandfather. I was like, we need a new logo. Like you don't have a logo. You just Whatever they print on a sticker, the print house will print on a sticker for you. That's what you're using as a logo. Mm-hmm. And just there was there was no cohesion across the brand. And coming from a design school, you know, that's where my mind was at anyways. And so I sat down one day on Illustrator and I designed this logo and I showed it to him. He's like, yeah, it's great. So I started using it on everything, you know, putting it on the trucks and putting it on equipment and built a new website, this whole deal. And about a year ago, we started to try and do a branding campaign on our equipment. Mm-hmm. And so we were taking the cat logos off the counterweight Good. and putting our logos on the back. Good. And uh, we did the first one. And it was like a, it's an old like 330D. And uh, I was uh, talking with my younger brother. He's about seven years younger than I am. And some of the young guys on a crew, and I was looking at this track code. I was like, man, I think that looks pretty nice. They're like, it looks like garbage. And I was like, what do you mean it looks like garbage? I think it looks great. They're like, no, that logo looks like it's from the 70s. I was like, no. And I started fighting them on it, right? Like, no, I built that logo. And then I realized, I was like, oh, I'm starting to be the antiquated one. I'm holding this back from growth and from forward thinking. I designed a logo to satisfy someone that started a business in the 70s. Yeah, it does kind of look a little vintage. Well, that was the idea because I knew that's what he would approve. That's what the client wanted. Um, But now... I've got to back off. And if this company's going to grow, well, then I got to keep hiring young people, put them in the office and say, hey, what do you think we should do? Yeah. What do you think we should do? What pushes us to the next level? And well, that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like, oh, I'm the old guy. I'm, so, uh, I'm all for taking as many equipment logos off machines as possible. Because yeah. it's, it's stupid. You'll, you'll see the contractor, they put this, uh, I drove past this contractor this, this yesterday. It's this big ass cat logo on the counterweight. And then their little logo on either side of the cat logo on the counterway. I'm like, it's just like. And like a 12 by 12. Yeah. Like a little bit of, yeah. Damn it, guys. Take the stupid cat sticker off or the Komatsu sticker, the deer sticker. I'm equal opportunity for removing manufacturer brands from equipment and slap your damn name on there. Like you look at these, these, these European companies and how they brand their equipment. Right. If it's their machine, it's their machine and they're letting people know. Yeah. And I'm like. That is how it should be done. That's a better way to do it. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but you say you're an old guy. You're not really an old guy. I'm not an old guy, but um, but I kind of feel like I, I kind of feel like I am. I'm 28, but mm-hmm. I've been doing this for 10 years at a, a level that most 28 year olds were not involved in construction. Sure. You know, a lot of them came out. You know, maybe went through school and went through a construction science program, and now they came out and they were a PM for a few years and. Now they're 28 and maybe they're running a $50 million job now. Well, that's cool. That's great. Um, or, you know, they started, came out of high school and ran a bulldozer. And now they get to run a bulldozer full-time because they've actually gotten their way and worked their way up into an operator position or running a crew. Um, but I don't know, just grinding really early on. I, and being in the family, right, worked up really fast. So yeah. I, know, I feel old too. 
running a construction company after a few years. Did your uh, has your grandpa been involved, or has he been pretty hands off? Like it's your show to run. Um, I don't want to be involved. He's been really hands off. Um, you know, he he's he's there if I need him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we uh, we bought a new three thirty six a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, and uh, I called him. Dealer Thompson. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm the most southern dealership from Thompson Machine. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, way down yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and so bought a new three thirty six, but I, I called him and I was like, "Hey, look, you know, this thing's gone up like twenty percent in the past two years." I was like, "What do you think I should do?" He's like, "I don't know. What do you think?" And I was like, "Well," and I told him my opinion. And he's like, "Well, I think that's what you should do." Yeah. And so that's the attitude now. Is it's like, but he's there for a good like wealth. Like, hey, have you ever ran into this problem? That's the best part is to be able to call him and say, but. Also, when, when I came on board with the business, there was 32 total employees. And so now being up close to that 70 number, um, it's not even really the same business anymore. Right? Totally. I mean, like when he was running, they just did, mm-hmm. they just moved dirt. They laid pipe and they did a demo and they worked for general contractors and they worked for the asphalt company and got the road ready and then turned it up. They weren't general contractors. And now the full management staff and it's an entirely different business now. So a lot of questions are not relevant. He's like, I I can't help you with this federal highway project you're working on. I don't know how that stuff works. And uh, it's like if you double your machine count from 20 to 40, it's kind of linear. You know, all right, you have twice as many problems as the other machine. They're not interacting with one another, interfacing with one another. Human beings, you go from 32 to 70. You're not just doubling the – it it is way more complex and needs – completely different management leadership principles, operational principles than it did before. It's just, it's not even the same company when you grow like that. And I don't, I didn't appreciate that until we started to do it. And it's like, whoa, you start to grow and everything you used to do completely breaks. Like at 30 something people, you can get to all your jobs. You can see all your people in a day. No problem. At 70, I don't know. I mean, that's a long day if you want to try to get to everybody. Yeah. Maybe you have one big job, but if you're spread out, good luck getting yeah, everybody. It's, it's impossible. And then your goal becomes, well, I just want to see everybody once a week or something. Yeah. Then it's hard to be a good leader at yeah. that point, too. Um, yeah, we went from, so when we did our buyout and I really moved into leadership then, um, we doubled the amount of, since then, we've doubled the amount of people and we've tripled about three and a half times the revenue. So the business has grown a ton in the past half decade. Yeah, not bad. Well, that was kind of part of the buyout was they wanted to get a little smaller and I want to get a little bigger. Mm-hmm. And that was so that's when we split. Um, so we've we've followed through on a lot of our goals, but you know, asking him questions now, he's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. In the the industry in a lot of ways just operates a little differently too. It's you know, you're using grade control and uh, you know, you're you're submitting bids electronically right. and th- right. there's a lot of stuff that Sure, we're 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 still pretty archaic and pretty old school, but uh, there's a lot that you know, uh, like uh, fuck emission systems, for example. Just the complexity of equipment nowadays yeah. compared to even just 15 years ago is night and day. That's night right. And day. They could work on it back then. We really can't. Yeah, that's you know? I, dude. I was out in the Middle East, and there's hundreds and thousands of machines out in the middle of nowhere. I didn't see a single service truck. I did not see a single service truck. And I'm sitting there scratching my head like, how does this work? How do they keep... And everything was moving. Everything mm-hmm. was going. They were good to go, man. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh, they don't have emissions. They don't uh, have all the... They don't have all of that jazz, man. And so if they had all that stuff, half the stuff would be broken. And they'd mm-hmm. be... I don't know what they'd be doing, but no, 
everything's good to go out there, yeah. which is, I was, I was like, how does this work? But, and if something breaks, some two dudes in a pickup truck show up and grab a hammer and some wrenches and just have at it and yeah. get her back to going and okay, on to the next one. That, that's what's crazy too about running a business now versus the way my grandfather did it is back in the day, they could go to an auction and buy a 330 with, yeah. you know, 6,000 hours on it. And then when it wore out, well, oh, we'll just took it to the shop. We'll fix it. We'll put it on carriage and fix, you know, do an engine swap, whatever. Nowadays, like, I can't find mechanics. I'm in Mississippi. Like, I have a way smaller labor pool than, mm-hmm. you know, most people. And um, we can't find mechanics. Well, you know what? We just have to reinvest more profits back into buying new machines. And now all of a sudden, buy brand new machines yeah. constantly. I can't do the auction game anymore. It's can't fix how this that stuff. works, huh? You just have to scratch your head and like, ah, I, this is working out really well for them. And how did it get here? Yeah. Um, what's the deal with the uh, workforce development stuff? Okay. So, um, all right. So early, early on in coming into this business, I, I started realizing, um, reading about the labor shortage, um, but also kind of seeing the aging workforce. And um, actually one day I was talking to uh, an older guy that was running a as- local asphalt company. We were watching one of our road graders, one of the Burns road graders run. He, he turned to me and said, how many guys do you know, or how many guys do you have at your business that can run that thing? And I was like, like two and a half. Mm-hmm. And he was like, in 10 years, how many do you have? And I was like, none. He said, like, what are you going to do about it? I was like, well, I guess I need to start training some people. He was like, yeah. He's like, just think about that. Sure. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, that's a pickle. And so I did. I started thinking about it. And about a few months later, I called him. I was like, I was thinking about it. And it's like, yeah, we need to train. It's like, but how do I do that? Um, and so we started realizing, you know, talking more. And I started thinking about all these problems like, well, I can train people inside my business, but now if I try to train a guy that's on a bulldozer to run a grader and now he goes, jumps on the grader, well, who's going to run the bulldozer? Well, that now is a new training problem that I've got to create. So several, over the past four or five years, several um, kind of the local contractors, everyone complains about this, right? All contract, you can't talk to a contractor what? without They complain that? Yeah. What? It, right, huh? right. You've never, have you had a, one of these podcasts and the contractor got on here and be like, oh, we can find plenty of people. <laughs> you know? well, funny, funny enough, we were just talking about uh, the, the one pro, the one company that doesn't have labor program. That was North American Coal, the one we were just with. Yeah. Like, do you guys have pro- problem with hiring? No, not really. Do you guys have problem with retention? No, not no, not really. How long have you been here? Oh, 42 years. You're, they're just doing their thing. Like, yeah. they're, they're the only ones I've ever met without a problem. But everybody else, labor problem, labor yeah. problem. Labor That's right. Well, if you want to grow, you're going to have, a, I mean, I think right now, yeah. pretty much if you want to grow, you're going to have a labor problem. If you want to do this business, you're going to have a labor problem. And, uh, well, we were growing, right? Sure. So, I mean, we've been, we've doubled our workforce in a few years well, in a small market. Yeah. So, so you, you, you have a problem, even if you're not growing. That's so right. Even if you're just that, you just want to maintain 50, you still have a problem there. So if you just want to maintain, you're not even, even you're, you're, you're still behind. And then if you want to go from 50 to 100, you're not just having to deal with maintaining that existing 50, but now you need to find another 50. And you're not going to retain, if you go hire 50 people, you're right. sure as shit not going to retain 50 people. To, to hire 50, um, 
you probably need to hire 100, 125, especially if a lot of those are truck drivers. Operators, I, was, I feel like easier to retain. But truck drivers, you're fighting with yeah, they're over-the-road industry. Like, yeah. you're fighting with so many more industries. Yeah, and over-the-road over, over the road, just fucking throwing money at yeah. these guys. Yeah. Exactly. Well, whatever you want. Just come work for us. You got a CDL yesterday. You can make $90,000 today. Yeah. I mean, so that's a, it's yeah. ridiculous. To and then they with. just made it harder to get a CDL. And that's I'm right. sitting here scratching my head. What? What? What are you guys doing? What are you What are you doing? Anyway, yeah. So 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 anyway, so so the comp so, so complaining. Um, everyone complains about it, and finally, um, a group of us um, from our area just said, you know, we can complain about this, or we can do something about it, and complain about it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. keep complaining. We're not going to stop that. I'm, but I'm cool with complaining. Yeah. If 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 you're complaining and doing something about it, good to go. Yeah. I don't complain all you want. If you're doing something about it, check. We're yeah. we're, we're good, man. So, so uh, a local general contractor, um, concrete company, roofing company, and that asphalt company I was talking about, that guy that we, we kind of started having this conversation. The five of us got together and you said, we said, all right, well, let's, let's come up with a plan. Let's, what are we going to do? Um, really, how are we going to answer the problem of people not joining our industry? Right? How do we rebrand our industry? And so we formed a nonprofit called uh, Forge Your Path. Um, and so with Forge, we, we've been going for four years now. So we started that in 2018. Um, and we've just coordinatedly um, sat down and said, all right, we're going to go talk to educators. We're going to go talk to parents. We're going to talk to counselors. We're going to go talk to students. And we're going to explain to them the opportunities within this career, you know, you know, what a carpenter can make and what an equipment operator and you know, how those people don't even know how to get those jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so started talking about those pathways, how you get into that. Um, we started designing programs with our community college. We revamped the CDL program. Our CDL program at our local community college in 2018 didn't exist. We didn't have one. You know, if you wanted to get a CDL, well, it was kind of tough. Sure. I mean, there was just no way to do it. So we revived that program. Um, we start. We we started a heavy civil program. Um, we actually so the heavy civil program. I'm really proud of. We we call it heavy civil, but it's half operating, half kind of like an overview of materials and reading plans and construction math that kind of stuff. It's a ten week program, but uh, Thompson Machinery was a massive partner for us. I've talked to Trace Hall about this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we got a big grant and bought a little D three yeah. and a three hundred four and two of their like really top of the line simulators. Is that that's the program? That's, yeah, I've talked to him about this. Yeah, so He's super fired up about it. Yeah, this thing is massive now. And so, like now, when you go talk to a high school class, like I'm going Wednesday to talk to some juniors and seniors that are in a a construction program, a shop class, and now I can actually tell them, hey, if you want to go run a bulldozer, you know, you can go get a job, or if your parents want you to go to college, mm -hmm. here's here's the trick. Yeah, right. You can still go to college and run a bulldozer. Sure. Right. And you can go do this 10 week course. And now we're at the point now where like industry, we just decided, hey, we're going to pay for it too. Like, so now like our June class for this heavy equipment program, um, you know, Thompson kicked in some money. Several of the companies, we all just kicked in some money and said, all right, look, we're going to pay for this. So now I can go talk to these students and say, hey, look, when you graduate in May, there's this free course that you could do. And by the end of August, you, you can, you can have a job. Right. And it's paid for. It's free, free school now. So, so that's been massive. Um, a couple years ago, um, the state of Mississippi 
the legislators and the lieutenant governor and speaker of the house and the governor all kind of got together and decided that they really wanted to revamp workforce development in the state of Mississippi. Mississippi is so far behind mm-hmm. workforce development. I mean, it's Mississippi. We don't have a whole lot of money. We don't have a whole lot of investment. Yeah, not a know, lot of industry. Not it's, a lot of industry. It's hit or miss. Yeah. yeah, and so, and we're just getting killed by people. Uh, companies are investing in Alabama. They're going to Georgia. They're coming Alabama's to Tennessee. Blowing up. Alabama's blowing up. Yeah. I mean, we have fraction of the amount of investment that Alabama has. Sure. Right. And so, a lot of that is because. Mississippi does not have the workforce. We just don't have the people. You know, you can't go build a, like Ford's plant they're building outside of Memphis. What, it's going to employ like 12,000 people. There's nowhere in Mississippi you could go put a 12,000-person plant and staff it without just taking jobs or people that already have jobs. And now that, that plant needs to hire people, right? No one's moving to Mississippi mm-hmm. for work. You never yeah. hear that, right? Yeah. So, so a part of that strategy to make Mississippi better and kind of revitalize that was to, they created a new office, new state office, the State Workforce Investment Board. It's this new office. And the lieutenant governor asked me to serve on the uh, five-man committee that oversaw this process um, of creating this new office. And we started, so I said yes, and that was 2020 as well. So that was the summer of 2020 when that happened. And um, so we started this, the new organization called Accelerate Mississippi, which is this new, new organization that decides what programs are invested in and how workforce um, dollars are spent inside the state of Mississippi, how the government spends its money on workforce training, right? And so um, working at, on a state level there. So, but... But you have to think about this. So we started this nonprofit, but then we started as contractors really positioning ourselves around the place, right? Positioning ourselves with the state government saying, oh, well, we need these programs and we need this kind of money spent on it, right? And we need, um, we go into high schools and start talking to teachers and principals and really positioned ourselves on all kinds of advisory committees, one the advisory committee for the local community college now. And so over the past four years, that's what we've spent our time doing. Go in, talk to kids, be involved with the, you know, the counselors, be involved with um, the parents. We had a, one of the really cool things we've done, we have this expo every year at our local community college. And we invite the eighth graders from all of our surrounding schools. And so in October, we had 1,033 eighth graders come to this expo. And Thompson brought simulators. Our truck dealership brought a truck driving simulator, like, uh, they could, we bought a grader, a skid steer and a dump truck and they could climb on all this stuff. But then like the concrete company had a deal where they could run con- a remote controlled concrete saw because mm. Husqvarna or still one of those guys came and, um, brought this demo thing. So it's hands on demo. They can finish concrete, they can stack bricks and they got to learn about how those pathways and construction work. How do I get those jobs? What kind of money is to be made? How many open opportunities are there to drive a bulldozer? Um, and so that, that's what we've been doing and it's been massively successful. When, when you go and talk to a, a group of kids, what, what do you say? What are the, what are the key points you hit on that seem to resonate? So, um, the thing, this is, it's funny, kind of funny. The thing that resonates the most is if you can show, say a high school boy, this is the easiest one. So if I go in this te- this next week, I'm going to talk to these, I think it's 19 total 
there are, I think there's two girls in it, but mostly, so 17 boys. If I can go in there and show them a picture of my parking lot at my office, they get it. Oh, shit. You know, when they see those fancy trucks that yeah. my guys drive because they're all making big money at 19 years old. Yeah. You know, if you can show them a picture of a guy that's two years older than them, that maybe they knew. Mm-hmm. They went to school with him. He graduated from my high school, and he's driving a $60,000 truck or $70,000 truck, and he's yeah. two years older than I am. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, no Toyota Priuses in this That's right. Lot. No, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah so when, when, I remember when I was young, coming up in this in, in my company, I remember the old guys would talk trash about the young guys driving new trucks. Like, oh, they pull in and they have this new fancy truck. Now, I'm, congratulations. Dude, that's a sweet truck. Yeah. Because now when you go talk to these kids and you say, look, oh, you can make $65,000 a year or $90,000 being a superintendent or whatever, you know, start talking those kinds of numbers. They don't know what that means. No. They don't have a clue. It drives me nuts. Well, and, and what drives me nuts too is all these companies saying like, don't just have a job here. You can have a career here. You're, you're yeah, talking to dumb. someone who's like 16, 17. Like, they don't give a fuck about a career. They yeah. just want to know how I, hey, that's a sick truck. How can I get one of those? Like yeah. that, that, at least that's what motivated me. It still motivates me. Like I, I feel like a little kid getting in my truck yeah. every single time I do. I'm like, this is sick. I interviewed a guy a couple weeks ago um, and hired him. And he actually kind of stayed after the interview and hung out for a little bit. Me and my brother were flying a drone and measuring a stockpile. And so he was kind of interested in that. We started talking and three or four different superintendents and project managers pulled up. You know, we were at one of our lay down yards. And so they're just coming in doing different stuff. And uh, I think we have really nice trucks at our company. Hmm. Um, we all drive white GMCs, three quarter tons, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of SLT trim. You know, these are chromed out work nice. trucks, right? And the guy's interviewing, which had offered him a job and he took it. And he turned to me, he goes, do you guys just all buy the same truck? It's like, no, these are company trucks. He's like, oh. I could just see it in his eyes, like, oh, this is a cool place to work. Yeah. You know, like they take care of their people. They put them in nice trucks. They don't just put them in a, you know, you know, whatever used truck. You know, so we do have some of those in the fleet, but still, you're trying to invest and take care of your people. But I think when you start attaching a lifestyle and material to a career, that's when it starts making sense to. It's those young guys. It's very motivating when you're when you're young. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's it's dude, it's like whatever motivates you, whatever works. And and, and people that say material things they aren't motivated by, I'm like, I'm not, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if I'm buying that because it's pretty damn motivating. Or at least yeah. it's been for me. I hey, I want, you know, I want this office, for example. Mm-hmm. I want a building or I want a bigger building. I want a, you know. I want a skid steer. I'm going to go get a damn skid steer. That's pretty yeah. damn motivating. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting point, putting it in terms that they can understand. Cause that's, I've always been so frustrated with. Yeah. You can build a career. Here's the salary, you know, the average salary. They, they don't know what that, 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 that doesn't mean anything to a kid. That, that means nothing to a kid the at all. don't mean anything. And yeah. maybe, maybe you have to, t- you know, use that language when you're talking to parents or teachers or, or guidance counselors, that the different audience. But when you're trying to appeal to kids, mm-mm. Yeah. So, so, okay. So, so kids, you got to show them the material. Yeah. You what know, about things. teachers, teachers and teachers? parents, you know, so we've had this new strategy. We're about to launch this new forge is about to launch this new program where, um, micro has got some good short documentaries. There was a new documentary. I can't remember who did it. Oh, I can't think of the name of it, but talks about college debt just came out back 
two or three months ago and talks about how much debt people are in this country, mm-hmm. right? Um, I went to college. I don't have anything against going to college, but you need to think about how that's going to affect your life. Sure. And so uh, coming from a very rural area, um, lots of people think that that is what is the measurement of success, okay, is to get out of this small town, to go to college, um, and then get a career. Well, in Mississippi, and this is what we're telling, we're talking to teachers and guiding counselors and parents and explaining this to them. Okay, well, in Mississippi, I believe it's like 15% of Mississippians that actually start college, finish, and get their four-year. Okay, 15% that start. Hmm. All right, well, within five years, this number floats depending on the the actual field, but um, say, for example, something that's relevant to us, civil engineering, um, in civil engineering, students that get a civil engineering degree in the state of Mississippi um, within, I'll be conservative on this because I can't remember exactly the number, but within five years, only 40% of those students still live in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, right, is that for Mississippi, we are telling our students, you need to get a four-year degree. They're going into debt, and then they're leaving, right? Sure. And so that's not that's no new investment that's job that's taxpayers that are leaving and so we're training we're actually training Tennessee's workforce in Mississippi you know because we're because there's not enough civil engineering jobs in Mississippi yeah right you can't find or they pay better in Tennessee well you can make more driving a bulldozer than you can being a civil engineer in Mississippi mm-hmm. right because of the demand um Mississippi has too many civil engineers and not enough older, you know, operators. So um, we're talking to parents and saying, look, your kids are most likely going to leave, first of all. Second of all, they're going to leave with a bunch of debt because that's the only way that they can pay their debt off is move to Atlanta or Nashville or New Orleans or Memphis or Birmingham or whatever to get a job because now they're $60,000 in debt. Um, and so it's easier to talk numbers with the parents and guidance counselors and teachers so that you can sit down and say, look, these are what these jobs pay. Here's the pathways to that job. You know, you can go straight to work or you go to this program at X, Y, and Z. Um, and here's when you get off at those stops, you know, if you go take this 10 week um, certificate program at the local community college, well, this is what you're most likely going to make at year one, year three, year five, year 10. Right. And so explaining those numbers, but then also making it about them too. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're encouraging your kid to leave you. That's what you. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Most based, people based on the data. Based on based, the data. Yeah. So you're not even, not even anecdotal. It's here's here are the numbers, and mm-hmm. this is exactly what actually happens here. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's pretty slick. I hate to I hate to say that it's slick because it's it's bad news. The whole thing's just bad news. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But, but 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 it's a hell of a lot better than just letting the status quo continue and. Complaining yeah. about it, that you have to at least look at the situation, look at the reality, say, "All right, here's exactly what we're up against," and then you can start working working with it. But until you face the facts, you, you look at it and sober up a little bit. Oh, okay, so this is what we're up against. You can't do anything about it, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So we're, there's a lot of conversation going on, guys. You know, we're gonna from the contractor side, like, look, we can't make it. We're not gonna be able to make it in ten years if we don't hire people when they're twenty and invest in them and take care of them. Mm-hmm. and teach them and train them, you know, you've got to stop, you know, hiring that blade hand that's 
at 50 years old because he's only going to carry you for a few years. So how many people, you have 70 people, how many would you say are under the age of 30? Um, 80%. Really? Yeah. So, wow. all right. So Whoa. this is something I'm super, I mean, super proud of this. I thought I was going to get, get you. I was going to get you. No, oh, so. About, about um, eight. Um, I know that I only have one superintendent over the age of 40. No shit. One. I think he's about 55. But I thought, no, I don't believe this because I thought kids don't like to work. A lot of them don't. Yeah. A lot of them don't. But I think we, we, in our industry, we have the opportunity that we do one of the coolest things. Sure. You know, especially being a, we're a heavy equipment company. So there's not a ton, a ton of labor jobs. Mm -hmm. But once you get on a bulldozer, it's a lot more fun. Especially you buy new machines because you can't work on them. And so now they get seat heaters and Bluetooth radios and all that kind of stuff, even though the radios do suck. Agree. Radios do suck. Thank you. Um, so, um, you know, there is a, a lot of those guys out there that don't want to work. And they're the ones that don't make it. I mean, they don't. Simple, how simple do you truth. Find, how do you find the ones that do want to work? Or how do you teach the value of work to someone that doesn't, uh, hasn't necessarily had to work before? I, th- I think that's what's holding us back from growth is that we can't, we can't so often, right? Um, we have to find people and we may only find two or three a year that really stick. You know, we can find two or three guys a year um, that are willing to work. And that's only, that's how much more work I can go pick up. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is a big problem. I don't know how I'm doing it. I mean, going to social media and doing that kind of stuff and having TikToks and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, we have definitely picked up employees. And I hired a guy last Monday that, that's how I found this was on Instagram, you know? And so that stuff does work. Yeah. Um, but um, you, it's kind of the same problem. If you're at 50 people and you want to go to 100, you got to hire 125 to get sure. to 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's still a lot of that. Yeah, and social media, it's not a, uh, it's not this magic potion that solves all the problems. And I think I might have overstated, overstated that when I first started out. And now I'm looking at it like, this is, this, it's just a, another tool. And you're just, you're just a little silly to ignore it when your biggest problem is people. And here's a great tool to access more people than you've ever been able to access before. And sure, is it is it going to solve all your problems? No. But even if it gets you one, two, three guys, mm-hmm. that's huge. That's huge. That's right. Well, and to, um, I said, we got our first machine control system in 2014. Ever since then... I have focused to make sure that every crew is a full machine control enabled site. Everybody's got a machine and rope, you know, a data collector and rover. Mm-hmm. Every bulldozer that is a production bulldozer has got machine control. And now we're, we've got a machine control skid steer with the nice little cool little box blade thing. Really? Investing That's fancy. in toys. That's fancy. Is actually makes you more attractive too. I see people on TikTok and Instagram all the time trash, you know, like, oh, you're mm-hmm. not a real operator if you run GPS. Yeah, I have to ignore those people really heavy yeah. because that's actually the only way I can get people to come work for me is because, you know, you're cutting down the learning curve now, mm-hmm. right? You're cutting down the learning curve by having all these toys, but we've had to massively invest in machine control because there's not people out there that can run bulldozers. Well, and, and that's just the reality of where we're at too is, is yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. Back in your day, you know, no one, no one ran machine control. We didn't have those fancy air conditioner shit and this mm-hmm. and that. You're like, yeah, I, we're not, we're not saying any of that no. is bad or, but it's like, if we got the air conditioning, I, I'm going to use it because 
it's better. Like, oh, so oh, so you drive your truck with the windows down and no air conditioning in the summer exactly. just because it's more hardcore? Yeah. Like, bullshit. I guarantee you your AC is turned up all the way. I, I hate that argument of that, oh, well, back in my day, we had to do it this way. Well, guess what? We've advanced. Yeah. We've advanced. We're, like We're better off. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, maybe that wasn't the best way to do it. Have you thought about that? And, and that wasn't like, the best way to learn. And instead of criticizing too, I've learned, hey, like, that's fantastic. And that got us here, but... I had a, Maybe there's a better way to do it now. I had a site superintendent. Uh, we're building an apartment complex. And this guy was, uh, we were talking about, he was asking questions about the machine control on the job site. We had four bulldozers running uh, machine control. And we're watching these things strip the site and cut and fill. And um, he was like, so how do they work? And I was like, well, I'll put you on one and try. Have you ever ran a bulldozer? He's like, oh, yeah, I ran a bulldozer. He's like, when I, you know, when I was like 16, they dropped a dozer out in the field and, um, just put me out there and said, you know, here's the keys, figure it out. Some, some story like that, right? No instruction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, he's like, yeah, now these days, these guys, you know, they've got a computer that tells them what to do. And I was like, man, it must have taken you a really long time to learn how to run that bulldozer. You know, that yeah. like uh, you've kind of realized those guys are like, man, well, that sucked for you. Yeah. I hate it. Sure. You know, I hate that, it, that you went the hard way. Well, that the, sucks. By far, by a long shot, the best blade hands I've ever seen are the guys that were wizards on a blade. And then we're humble enough to sit there and say, that machine control is probably going to make me better. I'm going to look like an asshole for a little bit to learn this thing. And now they are just unbelievably productive. Some of the numbers these guys can put up are unreal with the uh, just incredible skill they have of 20 years of running a blade plus the machine control yeah you you can't you you can't argue it like just look at the data i wish i need to go collect the data on here's how productive these guys are versus a guy you know on on running the little piano keys yeah. on his little 140 that's beat to hell it's yeah. just not it's just not comparable. It's not. And I remember when we we did our dem, our first demo, Thompson brought in a D6N. Um, we were grading some practice football fields for the university at the time. And they I sent them the CAD file. They built us this model, dropped a dozer in, came and calibrated the site, the whole deal. My grandfather's brother um, got on it. And my grandfather was kind of running late. He got on the dozer and he made one pass, went down the field, and he backed it up, cut it off, got out of it. And I was like, like, oh, this is not going to be good. I've been, like, really campaigning for this technology. About that time, my grandfather walks up from behind me and walks past me, and he's approaching, like, they're walking towards each other. And my grandfather's brother, great uncle, goes, he said, don't even bother. Just write him a check. And my grandfather's like, no, I'm not writing a check without getting on this thing. Same thing, one pass. Comes back. He's like, all right, we'll take it. You know, these guys have been doing it for 35 years at the time or close to it. And in one pass, they were a believer of it. They understood. Yeah. And But that's, and, and I think we're fooled into thinking that the majority doesn't believe in it. The majority does believe in You're it. Right. And it's just the people being their poopy pants self online saying, yeah. oh, oh, I, I can do that so much better with a cable machine. Like, fuck you. But it's, it's and, and you start to think that that's, that's reality. Yeah. I see reality where it's at. And it's, if you're not running machine control, Nowadays, I don't even know how you're winning work. I, I agree. I don't even know how the hell, like, how are you still winning jobs without machine control at yeah. all? Like, there's some, there's still some companies that don't run it at all. And yeah. I, 
okay, sure. It's not, it's again, it's not like social media where, oh, sure. We'll just run machine control and solve our entire problem and be super productive and make way more money. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. It's just another tool. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those examples of, hey, we're better off with this than, than without this. Yeah. yeah. Technology, man. Technology. Wow. Well, that's that's pretty cool stuff. So you guys are really doing it. Yeah, we're we're in a small market. It's tough. Um, you know, um, and you know, we're in a situation where we we can grow and we've got options to grow, but we are really focused on being able to scale. If you yeah. watch contractors that grow way too fast. And um, I think that's really scary and dangerous. Um, and I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, now doubles again in the next, you know, two years. Well, right? I got and, a guy in here this morning that did just that for two years. And you, I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll openly tell you it's... It's not that you can't do it, right? I mean, you can be successful, but yeah, it's, it, it's scary. It kicks you right right in the pants. Yeah. Um, that, and that, I'm, I'm going back to workforce development thing. I'm always, you know, people... Hey, are you going to go into schools and this and that? And, and and I think our place is largely online where these kids are on their phones, on the TikTok, on um, the Instagrams, yeah. on the this, this podcast thing. And it's the contractor's responsibility, the local contractors that are in their communities to go talk to their local high schools, to talk to their community, community colleges, to talk to the guidance counselors and the parents and the people. Like That's the way we scale it. We don't scale it by... Me running around to high schools, just look at how many hours I have in a year. I, I I wouldn't even scratch the surface. But if we have if we have fifty thousand contractors going to just even just one school a year, just go one school a year. So we have fifty thousand contractors talking to fifty thousand schools, and I'm just right. there's numbers here, but there are yeah. hundreds of thousands of contractors in the United States. Right. If we just do that, what kind of impact can we can we create in a single year? And maybe you have a class of 20, 20 kids. And you change the mind of just one, or even just get one to ask the question. Mm -hmm. hmm, maybe running that bulldozer is for me. Yeah, that's a win. That's a win, man. That's a yeah. big deal. Yeah, the ones that that have the ability need to think further than just going and talking to a classroom too. Sure. Like we've realized in the state of Mississippi, I think our Forge Group has really become this like golden child. Our governor and state and lieutenant governor they get in speeches and they're like, oh, you know those Forge. Folks up there in Columbus, you know, they're Man, look at they're you. doing this. And, like, that feels really good. But what it is is that we just ate glass. Like, we're going to educators, and we're, like, trying to re-wreck programs. We're going in, like, our local uh, county schools, their construction program. We paid for all the students OSHA's 10. Like, yeah. that way, when if they do choose this, now they have an OSHA 10 when they come but out. It's, like, it's hard work. All these contractors, they're misguided. They're just thinking, let's just keep throwing money at stuff. Let's, yeah, just, that let's just throw money, throw money, throw money. So what is the money doing? What is yeah. the So you have a worse, your problem is worse today than it was this time last year. And yet you spent all this money because that's the thing. Oh, whoa, whoa, let's just throw some money at it. So what did that do? Like, no, you have to, you have to, you know, metaphorically, you have to get in the trench, like just like you're doing with your business. You have to work hard to make sure that we have the workforce we need yeah. because no one else is going to do it for us. No one else is going to come save the day. Yeah. People have to realize, contractors have got to realize that you have two resources, as, especially as a, you know, a construction business owner, you have two resources. You have your money and you have your brain. You have this thing right here. And that's what you need to give more of to your community. You can't, you know, you can shell dollars. That only carries you so sure. far. But going out and actually helping fix the broken programs, 
you know, counselors are pushing kids to, you know, to go to a four year and go to be an engineer. And maybe you need them to also explain to kids the other business opportunities. So you have to go talk to those to counselors as well. You know, the same way that you got to go and talk to a, you know, a high school class. No, it's, 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 and, um, okay, sure. Uh, I can show a high school class, a picture of a blade 140. Here's a blade. This could be your office. Or I could just bring my blade to the parking lot. Say, here's a 140. This could be your office. Get on up there and just look at it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It takes me a little, you know, I need to organize the visit. I need to I gotta clean pay, it up. I need yeah. to clay the, clean the blade up. I need to pull it off so it's not producing. I need to pay for the mobe in and out. But the impact you're creating, you have to you have to invest in that in that way. Like what what resources do I have at my disposal mm-hmm. that I can utilize? What 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 you know, I have all of these human beings at my at my company. How can I how can we get them involved in 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 getting into the community inspiring these people? Yeah. It's not just let's just Oh, let's just keep giving money to, you know, nonprofits. I know you guys are a nonprofit yeah, and you guys yeah. are doing something with the money, but it's just like, I see all this money just get thrown around everywhere and yeah. n- nothing get done. Well, there's money out there and we're basically going out and getting grants that would be spent on other education things and then consolidating them back down into I'll take as much education. money as people are willing to give me. Yeah. If you're out there and you have money, you're throwing, uh, give it to me. I'll do some cool stuff with it. I promise. Yeah. I'll go buy another <laughs> machine and dress it up like another farm animal. Yeah. Uh, this, so the state of Arkansas is doing something cool that just an idea. I just thought of this right here. So you may have already thought about all this, but the state of Arkansas does this pretty cool thing where they have this semi trailer that goes to different high schools and it's a different high school every day. It's called a be pro be proud. And they're actually expanded to other States too. Several States do this, but this semi trailer, you get on there and there's like, a uh, this like welding virtual reality simulator thing and a truck mm-hmm. driving simulator and all these different things. And they, you get on there and you can drive this truck driving simulator, like really nice $60,000 truck driving simulator, and then learn what, a, how to get a job as a truck driver and how much money they make. Sure. And so like, it's just a traveling expo. Sort of like the expo like that we do, but you know, you're skid steer, like going and just having someone that takes it to school every day well, and just, I, know, yeah. I need to put my money where my mouth is yeah. and start bringing my skid steer down to, down yeah. to the high school, down the middle school. Check this out. Yeah. It's not just a machine. It's dressed like a cow. It's dressed like a cow. Yeah. Isn't that sick? Yeah. Uh, well, that's really cool. That's super cool. How do, can people get involved in Forge Your Path or what does that no. look like? Um, okay. So, um, right, well, then, so it's by design. It's I by guess, design. Uh, and that's the podcast, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> so it's by design. We don't want you to be involved in Forge. We want you to build a Forge. You need to build your own because Forge is, sure. is it's a group of contractors for our, well, it's just even our neighborhood. We had some contractors uh, yeah. out of Jackson call us and they're like, hey, we want to be a part of Forge. I was like, oh, we'll just call it Forge Jackson or something. Forge. Sure. You know, you yeah. can use our logo. We don't care. Like, yeah. yeah, well, we would love to let you use our logo. Huh. That's totally fine. But you need your own. Go yeah. find four of the contractors you can complain with and you guys do your own because I don't know your, your uh, board, you know, school board president your superintendent or whatever, you know, I don't know your university, you know, dean of the, you know, non-credit side. I don't know those people. You do. Hmm. If you don't, you need to find them. You need to meet them. Um, And so, yeah, you can't, I mean, you know, be great for everyone to promote Forge and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But everyone needs to set up their own. Well, it sounds like governor's already doing that enough for you. Yeah. 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 We've got enough promotion. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. That's, that's really cool. We need we need a lot more of that. 
a lot more of that. So good work. Thanks. Yeah. Huge, huge fan now. Um, okay. Well, thanks for stopping by. Thanks, thanks for podcasting. Thanks for having me. Thanks for driving all the way up here. Yeah. I'm glad to sit through traffic and actually finally get to come see this place. Yeah. We'll have to give you a shout next time we're down there. I'm hoping to get down there in May yeah. to go to Red Hills again. Cool. Have you, have you toured that place? I have not. Dude, you, I'm going to connect you with them. They, okay. They'll give you a tour. Okay. So you'll be able to go there. You'll be able to get yourself a tour. Okay. Unbel- unbelievable. Cool. Unbelievable what they've done. Yeah. So it's a, that's a fantastic operation. We're going to take our leadership team down there. Oh, yeah. I've so, heard, I've heard it's just kind of this kind of weird oasis of all these giant machines that you don't see. Yeah. In, but, but the, the machines are cool and, oh yeah, yeah. But the, the, the reclaimed land there, because they've been there for decades and decades, it's, it's unbelievable what they've done with the land. It's incredibly beautiful. Incredibly beautiful. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. So like the last time I was there, I was eating blueberries. <laughs> on the reclaimed mining land because they have a bunch of blueberry bushes and they oh, weren't all sweet. the way they weren't all the way ripe so they yeah. were just terribly sour but it was sick because I was yeah. eating blueberries out in a, a former coal mine this is freaking awesome yeah that's uh, cool cool alright well uh, yeah come see us Nick Parrish Burns Dirt thanks for thanks for stopping by appreciate it